So you heard about this, right? Ohio is uh, giving five people a chance to win a million dollars. And uh, all you have to do is be vaccinated for COVID-19. Governor DeWine uh, announced that starting next week, uh, May the 26th. Is that next week or is that the week after? I get so confused. Anyway, uh, beginning May 26th and uh, for five weeks thereafter... Uh, every Wednesday, they're going to randomly select a winner from all vaccinated adults. And as, as long as you've uh, had uh, at least one dose, you are eligible. And uh, if your name is selected, you get a million dollars. A million dollars. Let's play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Ohio edition. In response to charges that it is a complete waste of money, he said the real waste uh, is... Rather, uh, another life lost to the coronavirus. So anything that he can do uh, to encourage people to get vaccinated. The uh, prize money, uh, for those who are wondering where this will come from, it'll be from the federal coronavirus relief funds, which makes sense because uh, those funds that were allocated by Congress are are use-it-or-lose-it funds. So if you don't spend it on something, it goes back to the federal government. So... You got it. You may as well spend it. They're going to give it away. Everybody who is saying, oh, this is just a waste of money is stupid. I uh, would probably take the money if they were, <laughs> if their name were called. You, would you give it back? I, I don't think so. Good morning. I'm Chris Oaks. And coming up today, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions makes their argument in favor of the Eagle Creek Storage Basin, a project they view as critical to the overall success of mitigating flood risk for the entire community. Also this morning, media personality, historian, and author Bill O'Reilly joins us to talk about the latest subject of his best-selling book series, Killing the Mob. In our community and business spotlight, fresh off their Days of Caring event, the United Way of Hancock County already busy preparing for the 2021 fundraising campaign. And in today's Throwback Thursday segment, Police Week comes at a time when the significance of the noble sacrifice by those on the front lines to protect the community is more recognized and appreciated than ever. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 13th, 2021. Today is the Day of Ascension, uh, the 40th day of Easter commemorating Jesus's ascension into heaven is described in the news uh, in the New Testament. So, the day of ascension today. It is cough drop day, honoring the lowly cough drop. International hummus day. It is National Leprechaun Day, which I thought was kind of random. It's nowhere close to St. Patrick's Day. It's just out of the blue. It says National Leprechaun Day here. Uh, it is National Tulip Day. Now, if there are any tulips left, I think they all got got by that uh, freeze that we had a few days ago. Uh, National Fruit Cocktail Day and, more importantly, World Cocktail Day. So we, we have National Fruit Cocktail Day. It is World Cocktail Day. I like that one. That one's... So uh, here is the, uh, the latest uh, shortage. Um, seem to have the oddest shortages these days now it is chick-fil-a sauce the chicken chain has notified its customers that it has limited stock of its dipping sauces (gasps) oh my 
In some stores, it says they have been forced to limit customers to one sauce cup per item. Uh, It seems to be a supply chain problem. (laughs) So not quite on the level of the uh, microchips in the cars. (laughs) That is, has ground the auto industry to a halt. But it's still right up there. Um, Most of the shortages have been blamed on delays in international shipping deliveries due to the pandemic. And I wonder how much that uh, jammed ship in the uh, canal had to do with it. I mean, were they... They said it was international shipping deliveries. Do they get the uh, sauces from China? I don't know. But for whatever reason, Chick-fil-A, just be forewarned, they're running low on sauces. So, <laughs> I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking back to the days of World War II when everything was rationed. You know, when everybody pitched in because we had to, to ration everything like virtually every food was in short supply and everybody just pitched in and did what needed to be done and this generation we're up in arms because we we can only get one chick-fil-a sauce cup per item what whatever will we do (laughs) we are so soft this is interesting uh, research you want to help your kids do better in school get them a dog Washington State University researchers found that stress management programs that utilized therapy dogs were most effective for struggling students, specifically students who completed a four-week-long program with animal therapy were found to have improved their cognitive skills uh, in such a manner that persisted for at least four weeks. So they improved their their cognitive and, and study and study skills uh, greater than other traditional stress management approaches that are not as effective. Speaking specifically for this population, segment of the population, students. Uh, Human-animal interaction expert and study leader Patricia Pendry says uh, programs that focus on providing opportunities to interact with therapy uh, dogs, results were very strong When you're looking at the ability to study, engage, concentrate, and take a test, having an animal aspect is very powerful. Being calm is helpful for learning, especially for those who struggle with stress and learning. So if your kid struggles in school, especially uh, come test time, as final exams are coming up, uh, if your kid struggles in school, get him a dog. And that apparently will uh, do the trick. A therapy dog. I remember the old days when we called therapy dogs, dogs. I mean, basically what they are. Um, This should uh, not come as a great shock. Uh, This research, Ford Motor Company conducted an experiment and found that drivers and bicyclists who wore headphones while they were operating their vehicle, be it a car, a bicycle, whatever. Operators of those vehicles were four seconds slower on average to identify potential road hazards when wearing their headphones. Study from Ford Motor Company. Ford is now letting the public try out the virtual experience themselves using their smartphones. It is an app called Share the Road Safe and Sound, It uses what they call 8D audio. 8D. 
A new sound technology that makes our brains think that audio is constantly moving and coming from different directions. The issue, they say, is that wearing headphones causes a reduction in the vehicle and roadway sounds that we can hear. And that leads to a driver underestimating vehicle speed. This happened both in a lab setting and on the road during both day and night driving. So... Uh, don't wear your headphones, long and short of it. Don't wear your headphones when you're riding your bike or you're behind the wheel of a car. I would never do that. I, I don't know uh, who would do that. But then again, I don't know who would do this. Uh, you heard the story about the guy in California giving a new meaning to the term backseat driver. 25-year-old Param Sharma was arrested. He was caught riding in the backseat of his car while it was in self-drive mode. The California Highway Patrol received multiple 911 calls on Tuesday about a car driving down the interstate with no driver. Uh, police say that Mr. Sharma moved to the front seat after being pulled over. Uh, he told local news that he plans to. Here's the, how did he? How did the car pull over? If he wasn't in, if there was no driver, how does it know it's being pulled over? That's confusing to me. But anyway, Mr. Sharma said this This was the part that got me about the story. Mr. Sharma told uh, local news reporters that he plans to ride in the backseat in self-drive mode again. He will not be deterred. He says self-driving cars are the future. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Sharma, the key word in that uh, sentence is future. <laughs> they're, they're not here yet. Apparently he missed that. Do you hear what you're saying? Do you hear yourself? That's anyway. And lastly here, among the first things you need to know this morning, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your day started. And this is a great story. Guy in uh, West Virginia is making history uh, after his passing. 95-year-old Cecil Lockhart passed away earlier this month. And his liver was used uh, for the life-saving transplant in another woman. Uh, this lady got his uh, liver, his 95-year-old liver. The uh, Center for Organ Recovery and Education says that makes him the oldest recorded organ donor in U.S. history. His uh, family uh, tells the Center for Organ Recovery and Education, CORE, that he decided to be a donor after his son's death helped dozens of other people through tissue donation. And he said, then I'm going to do that too. Two things that I thought were interesting about this story. How would you like to be the recipient? If you were uh, the recipient, how would you feel about a 95-year-old liver being transplanted? Well, it's better than the one I got, I guess. Um, but this was kind of interesting. It said Mr. Lockhart was a World War II veteran and a coal miner for more than 50 years. So they're probably not going to use his lungs, I wouldn't think. No, that is cool. That is really awesome. 95 years old and uh, an organ donor. That is cool indeed. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. <laughs> WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high in the mid-60s. Mostly clear tonight, low in the mid-40s. 
Governor DeWine says on June 2nd, the Ohio Department of Health will rescind all pandemic health orders except those for nursing homes and assisted living facilities. You've followed the protocols. You've done what we've asked you to do. You've bravely fought this virus. The governor pointed out that lifting the orders does not mean that the virus is gone and that each citizen will make their own decisions about wearing a mask and social distancing. He also announced that the state will be holding a drawing for adults who have received the vaccine, with five winners getting $1 million apiece. Get more on our website. In Washington, Ohio's Republican Senator Rob Portman wants the extra $300 per week that the federal government is adding to unemployment benefits to come to an end. Portman has long said he thinks the higher jobless benefit pay is causing some people to delay returning to work. He says several states have discontinued the extra federal payments. My hope is that Ohio will join these states like Montana, South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Iowa in not offering the $300 but offering a bonus to return to work. Portman says a lot of employers, especially small businesses, are having trouble maintaining a staff. The extra federal payments continue until September 6th. Dave James, in News. People have been enjoying Finley's new designated outdoor refreshment area, or DORA, for almost a week now. Mayor Christina Mearns says everything went well on opening day last Friday. It seems like it went very well. No incidents involving the police. I think overall it went really well. The DORA allows people to order their favorite beverage in a participating establishment in a DORA cup and then walk around outside enjoying it as long as they stay within the DORA boundaries, which are marked with signage. Get more on our website. The Cleveland Browns will kick off the 2021 season with a rematch against the Kansas City Chiefs. They'll play at Arrowhead Stadium, the same place they played earlier this year in the playoffs in a game the Browns lost by a score of 22-17. The rematch will kick off at 425 on Sunday, September 12th. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Always a joy to have our next guest with us. Media personality, historian, and author Bill O'Reilly is out with another title in his best-selling book series, Killing the Mob. Bill, thanks for uh, taking the time this morning. We certainly appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. My pleasure, Chris. How are you? Doing very well. And I... Looking at this book, uh, Killing the Mob, this is what, the uh, 10th uh, book in the uh, Killing series now? Yep, 10th book. It's the largest selling nonfiction book series in history, and uh, we just found out it'll be number one on the New York Times list a week from Sunday. That is awesome. That makes 16 number one bestsellers. I'm, I'm... I tell you, I'm stunned, Chris, from a for a guy who just barely got through college. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, um, it's stunned. D- did you envision this uh, series going on this long? I mean, I'm assuming that you that you started. I mean, what Killing Lincoln was the first one, and then Killing Kennedy. Uh, I, so I'm assuming that that you envisioned this as a series. But did you imagine it to to go on for ten books plus? Well, it's an interesting story. I had written a number of contemporary um, bestsellers, you know, The O'Reilly Factor, Who's Looking Out for You, A Bold, Fresh Piece of Humanity, which is my bio. And I had six number one bestsellers with them, and it was, it was great, but I had said what I wanted to say. So I went to the publisher. I said, look, I want to write some history books. I'm a former history teacher, high school history teacher. Mm-hmm. And the guy looked at me and goes, what are you, nuts? I said, There's a million history books. I said, but not the way I'm going to do them. 
So I knew I had a, an interesting way to write about history, but I never, ever, and no one could, um, could predict the success that we've had. So talk a little bit about that approach, because, you know, certainly the publisher's right. I mean, there are all kinds of history books, and you are yeah. uh, not necessarily exploring new ground uh, in all of this or telling forgotten stories of history necessarily. So how is the approach different uh, on this? Well, in Killing the Mob, we have a lot of new ground, a lot of new stuff that nobody knows, nobody's ever heard of. Um, we really... Um, we really uh, research that intensely. So that book, if when you get it or if you get Killing the Mob, you're going to learn something on every page. But my formula is I'm the storyteller. Martin Dugard is the researcher. I put you there. So when Jesus in Killing Jesus was nailed to the cross, you're standing there. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is with these vivid details of how long the nail was, what the Romans did, um, and that requires a lot of disciplined research to just ferret out those nuggets. Yeah. That's the difference between the killing history books and most other history books. Yeah. Other, most other history books just tell you something. Mm-hmm. They tell you. We put you there. And in Killing the Mob, there's this great chapter where all of the organized crime mafia godfathers get together in Havana, Cuba, which the mob own. They own the whole country. Um, And I put you in that room. You're sitting there with Lucky Luciano and Vito Genovese and, and the conversations that they have, which we got from people who were there. Um, are just unbelievable, and it, it, that's the reason that people love these books, because they keep you up at night. I was going to ask, when you talk about killing the mob, I mean, that term, the mob, uh, is is somewhat ambiguous uh, in the sense that the mob has had many faces and taken on many forms uh, over the years. How do you define the mob uh, in this book? Italian organized crime. Okay. That's the mob. And when I say killing the mob, Bobby Kennedy changed the way organized crime did business. So Bobby Kennedy killed the old mob, which was the most powerful entity in the United States of America from 1946 to 1961. It was more powerful in Congress, more powerful in any corporation. But Bobby Kennedy was so intense as attorney general went after them with such a ferocity that he pretty much killed the old template put forth by Al Capone. And then a new mob arose, and that's what we have today. Well, that's what I was going to say, because, uh, you know, it is true that we don't uh, really hear about the mob like we used to even, you know, a couple of decades ago. Uh, much less the way uh, we did prior to uh, Kennedy's, uh, you know, going after the mob. But has it really been killed? I mean, it's still out there. It is, but it's a whole different structure. It, they're corporations now. So uh, the mob used to be hands-on, moving the heroin into uh, the United States, the French Connection days, and it's still about narcotics. 
Um, the illegal gambling, because all the states are legalizing gambling now, the vice, that's all pretty much over with organized crime. They are focused on the billion-dollar industry of drugs, hard drugs, heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamine. Um, but they run it in a franchised way, and that's what I get into, the details of how the organized criminals operate today. They operate from big mansions. Uh, here in New York, they're up in Westchester County, they're out in the Hamptons. There's still five families. They still control some of the unions in the city, um, in Ohio, in Cleveland, in Toledo, in Cincinnati. There are remnants of organized crime there, uh, but the bigger cities, Chicago, L.A., New York, Philadelphia, this is where the power of organized crime is centralized now. What was the what was the key to killing the mob in its own form and with respect to the mob as it exists today uh what is what will be key I mean do the old uh tools still work I mean you know the the mob is still around and and how do you confront this uh problem to the extent that it uh, exists today Well it's an excellent question Chris so the key to bringing down the old mob was after Bobby Kennedy pretty much exposed Jimmy Hoppe, the Teamsters Union, and their links to the mafia, where the organized criminals would borrow, of course with no interest, pension funds, millions and millions of pension dollars from the unions. That built Las Vegas. That money built Las Vegas. Right. Once Kennedy exposed it, and once Congress got involved and saw the corruption, massive corruption, they passed RICO laws. And the RICO laws made it easier for the federal government to wiretap the organized criminals. So mm-hmm. John Gotti was the last flamboyant, in-your-face, in-the-press godfather. Right. And he uh, hung out in a place called a Bergen Fish and Hunt Club, about eight miles from where I'm talking to you now. Well, the Fed snuck in there and wired the whole place and got Gotti talking about all kinds of crimes, including murder. Mm-hmm. He was convicted on those wiretaps, sent to prison, federal prison in Illinois, where he died in prison. Yeah. Because of that power and the technology, the mob had to change all their operations. So they're now corporations. And, you know, organized crime has corporations. So it's, it's, their feds still investigate them. They're still after them mm-hmm. because, again, they're the mover of narcotics in America. They move this right. stuff right. around, but they don't sell it on the street. That's franchised out to drug gangs. Yeah. So when you see in Cleveland and Chicago all of these people being murdered, they're being murdered by drug gangs. All right? That's, yeah. That's that, the, the frustration that I have is the press ignores it totally. Yeah, the 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 uh, mobs uh, the, are the uh, wholesalers, as it were. Uh, they're not That's on the, right. the retail side of it. Was was part of killing the mob uh, part of the key of killing the mob? Sort of ending the romanticism uh, that that people had that the general public had with the mob. I mean, even you mentioned Gotti. Well, I mean, he was certainly in the press. People went to Las Vegas in the in the 50s and 60s because it was a way of sort of walking on the edge of uh, rubbing shoulders with the mob uh, without being, you know, too involved. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, but that's never going to uh, go away because of the movies. 
Yeah. So we, we opened the book with Bonnie and Clyde. When you, when you hear Bonnie and Clyde, you think Warren, oh, Baby, yeah. Faye Dunaway, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Wow, look how glamorous they are. Bonnie yeah. and Clyde were the worst. They were slugs. Yeah. They would put a bullet between their eye and then have a ham sandwich right after. All right? So but we have this romantic vision of the Godfather. Oh, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, look at them. Mm-hmm. And then and Denzel Washington, the, the heroin dealer in American Gangster. Denzel Washington is such a powerful actor. He's so good, so charismatic that Americans kind of identify. Uh, the Sopranos, Gandolfini, yeah. right. same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So we have these indelible impressions in our mind. But I wrote this book, Chris, to just dispel that. These are evil, evil people. Mm-hmm. And what they do is so horrendous. But very, very few people really know the true story, which is why Killing the Mob in its first week Sold 125,000 copies. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Things flying out of bookstores. I I, I wanted to ask you, too, with respect to kind of going back to the uh, entire series, how do you decide what uh, subjects to tackle on them? Because it has been such a, like we said, it started with uh, killing Lincoln, killing Kennedy, killing Jesus, killing... Uh, I mean, it, it's been quite a, a wide range of subject matter. How do you decide which subjects to focus on? Well, after Killing Lincoln sold three million copies, then I said, well, we got to get serious here. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, we're moving books like crazy. And I don't know if people remember, but there was a movie Killing Lincoln narrated right. by yep. Tom Hanks. I mean, yep. it was the big, big time. Mm-hmm. So I decided basically to tell the story of America. Uh, in the Killing series. And if you read all ten, you will know from 1774, two years before the Declaration of Independence, all the way up to the present day, today, about your country. And you'll know the truth. My last book was Killing Crazy Horse. Right. Which told the truth about the Native American um, Anglo Wars, which had never really been done before. Mm-hmm. You had segments of it, but not the whole thing. Yeah. And so um, that's what I set out to do. Now, we were writing one, another book. It'll be out at the end of the year. And this is, the next book will be the most contemporized book. This is about today. Now, I've never done that before, but we're up to the present day. I've got you pretty much from the Revolutionary War all the way to 2021, mm-hmm. if you read all 10 books. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we have 18 million books in print, Chris. Yeah. Because people read one, then they go back and they read the other. And I I couldn't be happier because we need to know in this very, very volatile time that we live in, mm -hmm. we need to know the truth about America. Yeah. One of the the more fascinating ones uh, in the series to me was uh, Killing England. I mean, the uh, concept of of Killing England I thought was uh, really interesting, too, so I can see that uh, progression that you were uh, talking about. So uh, any preview of the – not to jump ahead – but uh, any uh, quick preview of, uh, of the next book in the series? Well, it's a contemporary book. I can't really tell you because when I wrote Killing <laughs> Jesus, I made the mistake of announcing it too early, and there were three Killing Jesuses out within four weeks. You Fair know? enough. Um, Fair enough. So, yeah, we got to be careful. But um, I can tell you that uh, it is based upon my news career. Okay. Um, we do a news show every night on BillOReilly.com, which is distributed by the first. It's everywhere. Um, we still do that, and it's very, very successful. I want your listeners to check out BillOReilly.com. By the way, if you buy Killing the Mob from us, 
we'll give you 50% off. Crazy horse. And those are great Father's Day gifts. But the, the next book we're working on, it's a hard book to write, um, is about our lives here okay. and um, how much pressure there is to keep everybody safe because this is a dangerous, dangerous world right now. Yeah. So we will look forward to that. And in the meantime, Killing the Mob is the latest in the Killing series. We've got the link up on our webpage for more information about it. Uh, really a fascinating narrative, including a lot that maybe you didn't know or didn't want to know uh, about the mob. Bill O'Reilly, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. All right, Chris. Very nice of you to have me in. Stay strong. Thank you. Joining us uh, in the studio this morning in his capacity as a, a member of uh, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions is uh, Tim Miley. Tim, thanks very much for uh, dropping by this morning. We appreciate it. This is, uh, as we said, uh, your uh, uh, position as the uh, uh, member of the uh, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions, but it does sort of uh, obviously relate to your uh, main work as uh, Economic Development Director because Blanchard River Watershed Solutions, for those who are not familiar, uh, is really made up of a number of uh, Finley businesses and uh, concerns, industries and concerns, uh, about uh, solving the uh, flood mitigation problem. Yeah, just a, a quick reminder to everybody, we formed back in 2017, mm-hmm. back when the sales tax was looking to be renewed and right. communities trying to figure out where to go. So we have Marathon and Cooper and Elveda Construction, One Energy, yeah. and the university on the board. Yeah, a lot of uh, ones that you would expect right. uh, would, would be part of this. And it was actually your organization that had requested the uh, Conservancy District to uh, give the final approval and the final go-ahead for the uh, Eagle Creek Storage Basin uh, to become officially a part of Well, the- we were a supporter. And there, there are, uh, I heard in your intro piece, you know, we're going to make our case today, which uh, we do have lots of facts that we can discuss. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, it, it was the Board of Directors of the Conservancy District who, who asked for the amendment uh, in the court hearing. They, they, they were, the uh, court said, you still want to make this amendment even pending tabling? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, but we also have supporters from 42 businesses. The county commissioners wrote a letter and got that information you want to talk about it. And, and city council wrote a letter of support. Right. And, Ohio General Assembly and and Governor Kasich and Governor DeWine and Department of Natural Resources. Um, th- there's this is not Blanchard River Watershed Solutions making our case, although it's me here today. Mm-hmm. It is a community for the past hundred years trying to solve flood mitigation, making point, their case. Point very well taken. Were you surprised that the uh, that the matter was tabled? That they that they I wasn't, didn't move. I wasn't surprised in the sense that we had communicated with Judge Routson in advance, and we knew that he wanted to have some form of a community hearing. And when we discussed uh, with Matt right after the meeting, mm-hmm. uh, he asked me if I was disappointed and it said, we would have preferred that it would have been amended that day. But we're not disappointed to tell why this is important for the community because we think after the community understands it, whoever doesn't understand it at this point, we haven't really heard much negativity other than the hub group. And uh, they haven't really provided any solutions other than to say, this won't work every time. So, but we're anxious to get out and that's why we're out talking to you and and the newspaper to explain why this is so important what's the engineering behind it 
how it's funded, and how did we get to this point? So how critical is this? And and let's uh, look at a couple of those uh, arguments. And we were speaking with uh, Gary Wilson yesterday uh, from Hancock uh, United for a Better Blanchard, or the hub uh, organization representing the uh, rural residents, uh, who say that this is a, a, a project that would not uh, provide a benefit in every flood. Uh, their uh, argument is that the... Uh, Eagle Creek only uh, carries 15% of the uh, water flow uh, in the entire watershed, and that that represents a relatively small number, especially when you consider this would be the single largest portion of, or the single most expensive portion of the overall project. A couple points there. If you're only trying to protect downtown Finley, which we're not, we're trying to protect the watershed, you can't develop a process that only works every time. Because if you take a look at rain analysis, we never really have a storm that just covers one portion of Lye Creek or Eagle Creek, and they've got the data to support that. Mm-hmm. There are lots of homes and businesses and farms along Eagle Creek that we'd like to protect as well. And if you take a look at statistically how often Eagle Creek floods and how often the Blanchard River floods, and you know from experience being here, it's always Eagle Creek first. Mm-hmm. So we have to address Eagle Creek in some form. The significance of it is you can protect all the property on Eagle Creek and then that also impacts downtown Main Street by 18 inches if we build the basin, which is the equivalent of phase one benching, which is 95% complete, phase two benching we haven't begun, and the NS bridge. So the bang for your buck that you get, and the Army Corps identified it, Stantec identified it, everybody has identified because of topography, the layout of the land, where the creeks enter downtown, what, what types of properties are along that. We have to do something on Eagle Creek. And, and our goal is not just to protect downtown Finley. They go on the assumption that uh, it wouldn't work every time because they're singly focused down there. We're looking at the entire watershed. We want to. Re- this will remove 2,000 acres from the 100-year floodplain. But if it does, on that same uh, or similar point, um, if we have uh, an event on the southern, uh, in the southern part of the county, does this uh, provide uh, any uh, any benefit? 100% that all the water flows from south to north. If you take a look at the Blanchard River up by the reservoir, it makes a 90 degree turn west because if those glaciers 10,000 years ago hadn't come, the Blanchard River would have went north into the Portage River. So we, our watershed, basically the north half of Finley, it's not, it's flowing north and it's flowing west. So all of the, the worst rain events, which was 07, mm-hmm. are the ones that happened to our south. Mm-hmm. And and uh, again, so this would in fact uh, catch some of that, regardless of where that water comes from. Well, it'll, it'll be it? Eagle Creek, Lie Creek, or the river, but yeah. they all run parallel to each other within three or four miles, and then and then head west and on their way to Ottawa. Um, the you also uh, made mention, uh, and, and I know this is a, a point uh, worth clarifying. Again, the numbers that uh, the opponents are are using. Uh, is describing Eagle Creek as carrying 15% of the water uh, through the uh, watershed, and you say that is not accurate. Yeah, I listened to that carefully yesterday when Mr. Wilson was was saying that, and Eagle Creek is 15% of the land mass in the watershed. In a 100-year storm, it carries 30% of the water, and the numbers are 1,905 cubic feet per second in Lye Creek. That's the smallest one. That's the one that's over by Hunter's Creek. Mm-hmm. 4,275 cubic feet in Eagle and 7,175 cubic feet in the Blanchard. And that totals close to 15,000 cubic feet per second in a peak 100-year storm scenario. So 
If you want to talk about land mass, that's fine. But this isn't a geography course. We're talking about water flow and volume and how much is coming down the creek and the river. So that is the uh, disparity uh, in those numbers. Correct. Now, the uh, Conservancy Court uh, say, uh, said that uh, a, a public uh, meeting should be uh, set up to gather uh, further comments and, and uh, uh, all of that. Has that been scheduled at this point? So Judge Routson will be scheduling a meeting in June, and he's working on a date, time, and location. The Conservancy Court have already scheduled their next court hearing, which is July 9th. They intend to take this off the table and vote on it on July 9th. So what uh, what would be the implication if uh, they were to reject uh, this uh, idea? Great question. This part of it. Uh, take a step back. Do they even have to amend the plan? Their tabling right now has, does not affect anything that we're doing. Engineering is continuing forward. Land acquisition is continuing forward. In fact, you could continue forward with construction at this point if you wanted to. The only time you need to amend the plan if there's a potential assessment. The reason we don't need to amend it right now, we have the money to engineer it by the land and construct it. The only potential assessments, operations, and maintenance, which we know will be about $100,000 a year. So we're working through with that right now. It could be an assessment. It could be City of Finley. It could be Hancock County. It could be a combination of those three. It could be the business community putting together an endowment at the Community Foundation. It could be a whole wide variety. But the $100,000, if we need an assessment, is when we would need to amend the plan. So, in other words, uh, this is going to happen one way or the other, that this uh, hearing and, and this motion and all of this uh, is not a thumbs-up or thumbs-down to actually construct the basin. Correct. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about amendment to the official plan. And, and we've, we've been very careful to make sure we're doing this by the letter of the law from the very beginning because we know this is a, an emotional issue here in Hancock County and wanted to make sure we could explain to people how we're going through it. And that's why you have seen all this land, you know, over 400 acres, and we have another 250 that the that, uh, Conservancy District's working, has all been happening prior to the amendment out of the plan. And, and this all started in 17 or 18 but in fact, the Conservancy District had been trying to solve flooding in Finley since the 1950s. Right, uh, as we all uh, as we all know, and and that was kind of one of the uh, one of the questions uh, that that we wanted to wanted to ask with respect to you know the tabling uh, of this motion. Does this mean uh, another delay, and and how uh, disappointing and how frustrating uh, is that uh, for those who are part of this organization who have been pushing for this? to have yet another it's, delay, even by a couple of months. It's another step in the process. And now that we've got July 9th meeting, um, we're going to do everything we can to make sure everybody understands. It doesn't mean everybody's going to agree, but let's make sure everybody understands how we did it, how we're funding it, uh, what the impacts will be, and the benefits. And again, to underscore what you were saying, uh, this is a project that will move forward uh, regardless of... Well, we're moving the, forward. Um, the Conservancy District is moving forward, the Board of Directors, with the land acquisition and engineering with Stantec. Um, and so our job is here, kind of boots on the ground to help people understand it for, for the June meeting. But And then the Conservancy Court will reconsider this in July. Because the other question uh, that I had, I mean, when you're moving forward and, and spending this money, if uh, it is not part of the, uh, of the uh, made part of the official plan, what happens to the only all that? The only technical thing that if it's not made part of the official plan is they cannot assess. Okay, so 
that that answers the question. So I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. Benching phase one, phase two, NS bridge. We have not gone back and asked for an amendment to the official plan. It's all been paid for, and they're going. So it's in their scope to do flood work within mm -hmm. Hancock County because we're in the watershed. Right. But they have to add, take that extra step if they're going to assess. If they're going to, uh, good, going to assess. And, again, as you were mentioning, there are all kinds of options uh, with respect to that. So. And, and it's, it's not that, I mean, $100,000 to solve a issue that we've been fighting for years we, when yeah. we had $100 million. In, in, and, and that's the thing, too. We're working on getting the statistics. But in terms of the Buffalo District for the Army Corps, mm -hmm. we, we are the leading community in terms of property and flood, um, and damages and we need that this is a recurring and monday was a perfect example and reminder yeah um again uh tim miley with us uh, in his capacity with the uh Blanchard river watershed solutions uh organization uh in favor of the eagle creek storage basin that has uh, been uh, tabled uh, by the conservancy uh, district we we'll look forward to the uh, public meeting and uh, more of this to be aired and <laughs> i'm sure i'll uh, be again, back not the last time we're going to be talking about this i'm sure Tim, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Joined in the studio this morning by Angela Dabosky, the United Way of Hancock County, and a couple of things we want to get into, but even before we start anything else, you guys have new digs. You just moved in a few weeks ago. Absolutely. We are now over on West Main Cross in the Can Do Studio building. It's part of our reimagining how we're doing business. We know that a lot of companies and nonprofits are doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're up, for us, it was a way of lowering our overhead costs as well as partnering with another organization in town that is improving lives. Sure. And it's got to be uh, really cool to be right there in the heart of it in downtown, too. It absolutely it is. Yeah. So uh, new location, new digs, and are you still living out of boxes yet, or have you uh, gotten everything unpacked? We're getting used to the look <laughs> of cardboard, <laughs> but we're, we're getting close. Thanks to a lot of volunteers for Days of Caring. We've got a lot of that wrapped up. So uh, speaking of which, uh, wrapping up the Days of Caring, another successful event here locally. Absolutely. We had over... Uh, 550 volunteers in the community between that and our student uh, serve day at the end of April, mm -hmm. um, which added another 80. It was about $70,000 of capacity for our nonprofits in town, which has a big tangible effect. Absolutely. And again, we've talked about it in the past. This is money that those agencies don't have to spend to have that work done or outsourced or, or what have you and resources they can rededicate to their mission. Absolutely. And so there were 89 pro I'm sorry, 79 projects mm -hmm. over the course of the week and our agencies they hold they save up these knowing that we're going to have volunteers year after year and that they can partner with United Way this way. So kudos to all of the volunteers uh, days of caring. We are so thankful for them. Now we start to transition into the next campaign and uh, starting to see some of the early uh, events that are tied into the next 2021 campaign. Yep, we're never just laying yes. on our laurels for sure. <laughs> so uh, campaign is kicking off. We have our pace setters that will begin in August. But even before that, we are the beneficiary of a golf outing that is happening in the beginning of June. So if you're interested, you can call our offices 
to find out more, it's the Home Builders Association. It's the 26th annual. So year over year, the Home Builders Association um, are finding reasons to invest in our community through United Way, and we're so grateful. So again, folks can sign up for that right now, and this is kind of the early signs of gearing up for the campaign. You mentioned pace setters, and before you know it, uh, we're going to be off and running. Do you have a timeline? I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but do you have a timeline in terms of this year's campaign dates and all of that? Uh, campaign itself will officially start in the middle of September. I think okay. the 13th of September okay. is the official date. We have some really great things I can't share yet, but we have a really exciting um, event that is going to be going on for about six weeks uh, during campaign season. So last year we ran Mass Singers Live United mm-hmm. and a lot of community involvement. I think this year is going to top it. Oh, well, that we'll look forward to that. And hopefully things are going to be in person again this year. That's what we're hoping for. Um, And so what we're planning on is that in um, August, we will have our Gaslight, our leadership giving levels. We'll have a big event. And so we're planning for that. But along the way, just in case, and we we feel it's really strong, we have gatherings. So over the course of the summer, we'll have some weekly events where we pull in our our major donors just to say thank you, Um, you know, just small groups of 10 or so, which uh, gives a really great opportunity to give that personal thanks and share how people are making a difference in our community. Always these days have to make contingencies just in case, but the plan is for uh, in-person events uh, tied into the uh, campaign. So always something going on at the United Way and things to look forward to as we head toward campaign season. Angela Dabosky, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. A pro tip. Kiddie pools are not seaworthy. The story is coming up momentarily. But first, leading off today's broken news, social media can make people do pretty strange things sometimes. Here is just the latest example. On Monday morning, 28-year-old Audrey Francischini dressed up like a teenager, grabbed a backpack and skateboard, and started wandering through the American Senior High School in Hialeah, Florida. She pretended she was a student and wandered the school halls handing out pamphlets that featured her Instagram handle and asking students to follow her. Security stopped her at one point, and she told them she was looking for the registration office. But she allegedly kept walking through the halls uh, after that, still handing out pamphlets, until security at that point attempted to stop her for a second time. Ms. Franciscini allegedly refused to stop, at which time security notified school officials of a potential threat on campus. Police say she managed to slip outside a side door and flee the school grounds, but they were able to track her to her home via her Instagram and place her under arrest. She has been charged with burglary, interference with an educational institution, and resisting arrest. All because she wanted to get more followers on her Instagram page. (laughs) All kinds of things wrong with that plan. But there you go. You remember the uh, story that we had uh, yesterday about the woman who uh, tried to get rid of his wife, or her, his 
a woman who tried to get rid of her husband's mistress by telling the other woman that he had died. You remember that story uh, yesterday? Well, uh, this is kind of along similar lines. A woman in the Dominican Republic uh, said it was a dream come true after she held her own fake funeral. 50-year-old Myra Alonzo said she spent over $1,000 to hold a great big wake, basically. Uh, It was a funeral and wake had uh, complete with a coffin, a hearse, invited mourners. (laughs) She lied in repose in a white gown while people came up to pay their respects to her. Guests were served refreshments and also sang farewell songs. (laughs) Have you ever wondered what it would be like to go to your own funeral? Well, this uh, said... She said she was inspired to embrace death because of the coronavirus pandemic. I guess whatever floats your boat. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, floating boats, uh, this is uh, something that you probably should already know, but just in case, you really should not go out sailing in the ocean on a homemade boat, especially if your homemade boat is constructed out of two kiddie pools, plywood, duct tape, and 25-gallon buckets. <laughs> On Saturday, two students from the University of California, Santa Barbara, UCSB, uh, set out on a voyage into the Pacific Ocean on a boat they had constructed out of two kiddie pools, plywood, duct tape, and 25-gallon buckets. Surprise, surprise, they ended up needed to be rescued. Santa Barbara County Fire says the or that the two students had with them wasn't cutting it, and the tide kept pushing them further and further out into the ocean. They say when they finally got there, they were about 300 yards offshore. The call for help came from someone onshore who spotted them thanks to strobe lights that they had on board. So at least they had that. Crews rescued them at 2.37 in the morning and noted on Twitter that alcohol was not a factor. Alcohol was not a factor. They were just stupid. (laughs) Rescuers say there were no injuries. Fortunately, the ocean was calm at the time, even though the water temperature was in the 50s. (laughs) Don't do that. Kiddie pools are not ocean-worthy vessels. Yeah. Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Kansas City, Missouri police had an easy time identifying one identity thief because after purchasing a nearly $60,000 car under someone else's name, the man willingly posed for a picture by his new vehicle. <laughs> uh, this is a story in the Newsweek. Uh, it says the suspect bought a $58,000 Ford Explorer this past summer, and unfortunately for his victim, They didn't realize that their identity had been stolen until much later. But after the discovery was made, police got to work to identify the perp who went on a shopping spree. They got a big break when approaching the dealership uh, for any information. And the dealership told police that it is customary for staff to take photos of new car buyers. So they went to their files and they turned over the photo of the identity thief. Because a lot of uh, a lot of dealerships do that now today, and they post the, the photos on social media and so on. <laughs> so they had a picture right there of the identify uh, the identity thief. 
Police uh, shared the image online, and an hour later, they had their man. But here is the twist. Uh, It turns out that the guy is already in custody uh, on different charges. The uh, prosecutors say they will submit the case uh, still to add additional charges and and more jail time. The suspect was busted for a different crime. Uh, Kansas City police intend to charge the suspect who they they declined to give his uh, exact name. He'll be facing a fraud charge. And finally... In the broken news this morning, because we always have to have something out of Florida. One Florida man is being hailed a genius after he used a taxi cab as his getaway vehicle. Elijah Shelton, age 24, accused of robbing a bank early Friday morning, making off with $8,300 before authorities could arrive on the scene. And although uh, Mr. Shelton was long gone, he was easy to find once police started looking in a press conference. Santa Rosa County Sheriff Bob Johnson explained that the suspect had used a taxi to transport him to and from the scene of the crime. Usually, he said, when you talk about a bank robbery, it's not, not lighthearted. Uh, but we've got a great story for you on this one. Uh, he said the guy uh, who after this will be referred to as the genius... <laughs> Decides he wants to rob a bank. Uh, Normally, you'd get a fast car so you can get away. But instead, he called a cab to his house. Picks him up, takes him to the bank, waits in the parking lot. He robs the bank, comes out, and the cab takes him back home. He said the taxi driver had no clue what was going on. But uh, the taxi driver was able to identify (laughs) his fare and led cops right to him. Mr. Shelton has been charged with robbery, grand theft, and drug possession and is currently being held in the Okaloosa County Jail pending extradition to Santa Rosa County. (laughs) There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, This update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN, your year-round home for exciting sports play-by-play coverage. Cleveland Indians baseball, Finley Trojan and Ohio State football and basketball, Blue Jackets hockey, and the NFL regular season, postseason, and Super Bowl. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time. The best in live sports coverage happens here. 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. No big surprise here that uh, AAA is predicting Memorial Day will see increased highway activity as compared to last year. If I remember right, they didn't even do a Memorial Day uh, travel projection last year because everyone was in lockdown. And so they why why bother? They didn't even make a projection for Memorial Day, but... AAA Travel predicting that more than 37 million Americans will travel at least 50 miles from home this holiday weekend, the 27th through the 31st. That is a 60% increase from last year when just 23 million Americans ended up traveling for Memorial Day weekend. The significant rebound in travel expected because more Americans are getting the vaccine because the CDC recently updated its travel guidance saying that fully vaccinated Americans can safely travel around the country. It is predicted that of the three, uh, 37 million Americans expected to travel Memorial Day weekend, 34.4 million will travel by car, which is 12 million more than last year. 
two and a half million will fly, which is nearly six times more than last year. And the remainder, about 237,000, will take a bus, a train, or a cruise. And again, cruises have been really hard hit because of all of this, as we know. AAA also noted in its report that its estimation could be impacted by last-minute decisions related to COVID-19 case numbers and variants or significant progress in the vaccine rollout in the coming weeks. So they are still kind of hedging their bets because of the uncertainties surrounding the remnants of the pandemic. But it's another good sign even that they are making a projection. And lastly, this morning in our Throwback Thursday segment, this is Police Week. And over the past year, the significance of the noble sacrifice by those on the front lines to protect our community is more appreciated than ever. In May of last year, we spoke with former police officer turned attorney for first responders, Lance LaRusso. is the author of the books, When Cops Kill, Blue News, and Hunting of Men, We pointed out that in this respect, the COVID-19 pandemic really could not have come at a better time for the profession of law enforcement because they have largely taken a beating in the court of public opinion in recent years. Well, people are starting to realize that these are the people, no matter how much you bash them, that are still coming to work, still responding to needs for assistance. Uh, Whether you like them or not, People are still calling them, and thank God they're out there, and thank God they're still willing to do the job. It takes something special to be able to continue to do that and put yourself out there on the line each and every day when there are uh, so many who are not appreciative and, in fact, sometimes overly, overtly hostile. And I think that's an important lesson to learn because I think overwhelmingly people do support the police. I can't tell you how many times over the past several years um, officers who are, are friends and clients will tell you that people will come up to them in gas stations and thank them for what they're doing while they're getting coffee mm. or people bringing uh, cookies and cakes by the precinct and things. So they are appreciated. The problem is that, you know, the people who seem to be the most ignorant yell the loudest. I do think that this phenomenon uh, of the way law enforcement uh, are viewed is somewhat geographically skewed, shall we say. The perception is going to be very different in, say, a large urban area with more media scrutiny, more crime and frankly, potentially more bad apples ruining the bunch than in smaller, more rural and more conservative areas of the country. I think some of that's true. And I know from officers, I've represented almost 100 officers are involved in officer-involved shootings and critical incidents. And over and over and over again, when officers are completely cleared of all of the charges by every level of uh, criminal justice investigation that can be done, that coverage doesn't make it uh, to the people. The big question, of course, and again, we talk about how uh, all of what we have been through over the past months has given a new appreciation for a lot of folks to the job that law enforcement does and the very difficult uh, task that they are charged with. The big question, of course, is how long does that appreciation last? You know, I think that it's an opportunity right now for law enforcement to brag even more about what they've been doing to say, okay, we've been out here. We've been the people you've been relying on. We've been the people that you've called on to do everything, including keep peace at the grocery stores while people are trying to find toilet paper. We're still the same people. Mm-hmm. So now that you know everybody's out and going to restaurants again, we didn't change. Maybe your perceptions are off. And by the way, maybe you need to learn more about the reality and 
stop just listening to the rumor mill. You know, again, we go back to that idea of uh, police departments and uh, those in law enforcement uh, being better about going out and telling their own story. To a certain extent, some of that is excusable when budgets get tight and cuts have to be made. It's a lot easier to say that a community relations person or a PR person is less important than having a beat cop uh, on the street or an additional detective in the squad. No, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things I talk about in Blue News, one of the beautiful things. Uh, and it can go to uh, Amazon and it's also available on Lance LaRusso book. Uh, social media is free. Yeah. It doesn't take more than just a little bit of time for an officer to do it. And this is this is what's a real dichotomy to me. The same people who scream and holler that there aren't enough um, community relations officers that are in the community doing things are the same ones who are causing problems that is leading to attrition and a lack of recruiting. And then you have professional athletes complaining about law enforcement instead of using their celebrity status to mm-hmm. go help keep kids out of gangs, which will make cops more effective. I mean, yeah. it's this amazing, you know, whirlwind of society that we're in. And it seems like the answer to crime is number one, to blame law enforcement for it. And number two, to let people out of prison who have manifested themselves to be dangerous. A lot to consider when thinking about the relationship between law enforcement and the public and uh, uh, who is out there protecting us and the need for uh, another generation uh, to come up after this one. So a point well taken there as well. Again, uh, former police officer turned attorney Lance LaRusso. Uh, You mentioned uh, your books, um, which are fascinating for the public and for police officers alike. Uh, Mention the website where folks can learn more. They can go to huntingofmen.com or bluelinelawyer.com or the books are available on Amazon. And uh, the profits from Blue News and When Cops Kill support law enforcement charities. We're right about $28,000 now. From May of 2020, in honor of Police Week, our Throwback Thursday segment this morning with former police officer turned attorney Lance LaRusso. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, talk about timely. This is Infrastructure Week. We'll talk about why there is such a debate over something that everyone seems to agree on with both the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO. Also, another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen and lots more to do until tomorrow morning. That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Get you back here tomorrow.